T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Good morning. Welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you for the next two hours. Hope everyone is having a great weekend. Hope you're enjoying some of this beautiful weather we have here in Western New York, home of the best summers. I don't care what anyone says. Um, obviously, a lot to get to today, but as I was saying during Randy's show, and I want to just re emphasize here at the beginning of the show, We did reach out to local Democrats to come on the show today. We did not hear back. So we do have one Democrat, Nick Rathid, joining us at 1130 to get a national perspective, not only on what's going on here in Albany, but to also talk about the infrastructure bill uh, that we're seeing in Senate, as well as the Biden administration's response to COVID and the messaging that we're seeing out of Washington around the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, Nick is a former member of the Obama White House, so it'll be very interesting to get his perspective perspective on everything going on here in the state, but also nationally. He'll be joining us at 1130. Before that, we have Nick Langworthy at 1030 and Assembly Minority Leader William Barclay at 11. So we do have perspective on this, but as I said, I wish we would have had a local Democrat perspective here at 10 o'clock. You know, we tried, and I apologize. Uh, we didn't get, we didn't hear back. Like I said, I like to get all perspectives on this show, all viewpoints from the left, from the right, from the center. Um, we like to get it all here on Hardline, and I apologize that this first segment we were not able to um, get that local Democrat perspective. But we will run down what happened this week, and uh, as you know, it all started with a press conference with a report from the Attorney General's office. Here's a little bit about uh, a little bit of that report, that press conference given earlier this week from Attorney General Letitia James. They reviewed more than 74,000 pieces of evidence, including documents, emails, texts, audio files, and pictures. These interviews and pieces of evidence reveal a deeply disturbing yet clear picture. Governor Cuomo sexually harassed current and former state employees in violation of both federal and state laws. The independence investigation found that Governor Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, many of whom were young women, by engaging in unwanted groping, kisses, hugging, 
and by making inappropriate comments. Further, the governor and his senior team took actions to retaliate against at least one former employee for coming forward with her story, her truth. And governor Cuomo's administration fostered a toxic workplace that enabled harassment and created a hostile work environment where staffers did not feel comfortable coming forward with complaints about sexual harassment due to a climate of fear and given the power dynamics. The investigators found that Governor Cuomo's actions and those of the exec executive chamber violated multiple state and federal laws, as well as the executive chamber's own written policies. This investigation has revealed conduct that corrodes the very fabric and character of our state government and shines light on injustice that can be present at the highest levels of government. But none of this, none of this would have been illuminated if not for the heroic women who came forward. And I am inspired by all the brave women who came forward. But more importantly, I believe them. And I thank them for their bravery. And I thank the independent investigators for their professionalism, despite the attacks. And for their dogged determination that brought us to the truth. The report went on for some more of the investigation. They're set forth in a detailed report issued today. As set forth in the report, we find that the governor, on numerous occasions, engaged in conduct that constitutes unlawful sex-based harassment. Specifically, we find that the governor sexually harassed a number of current and former New York State employees. He did so by, among other things, engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching, and also repeatedly making comments of a sexualized or gender-based nature. Our investigation revealed that these were not isolated incidents. They were part of a pattern. The governor's pattern of sexually harassing behavior was not limited to members of his own staff, but extended to other state employees, including a state trooper who served on his protective detail. There are 11 complainants whose allegations are set forth in great detail in the report. Nine of them are or were employed by the state of New York or a state-affiliated entity. The complainants interacted with the governor under different circumstances. For example, some of them met with him regularly as an executive assistant or as members of his staff, or as I said, as a trooper on his protective detail, while others only met him once. But all of them experienced harassing conduct from the governor. Some suffered through unwanted touching and grabbing of their most intimate body parts. 
Others suffered through repeated, offensive, sexually suggestive, or gender-based comments. A number of them endured both. That was an in-depth of the investigation, uh, part of the Attorney General's um, report that they uh, made public this week. And then we saw a reaction from prominent Democrats in um, sorry, in New York, uh, including Senator Chuck Schumer. I want to read a statement. Senators Gillibrand and I have released a statement a short while ago, which follows a statement we released in March calling on the governor to resign. Let me read you the statement. This is from Senator Gillibrand and myself. As we have said before, the reported actions of the governor were profoundly disturbing, inappropriate, and completely unacceptable. Today's report from the New York State Attorney General substantiated and corroborated the allegations of the brave women who came forward to share their stories, and we commend the women for doing so. The New York State Attorney General has conducted an independent, thorough, and professional investigation that found the governor violated state and federal law, had a pattern of sexually harassing current and former employees, retaliated against one of the accusers, at least one of the accusers, and created a hostile work environment. No elected official is above the law. The people of New York deserve better leadership in the governor's office. We continue to believe that the governor should resign. Yes. On that front, I mean, did you watch the governor's statement? Clearly he didn't resign, so what is your reaction to that? I continue to believe the governor should resign. Yes, next. Even if he doesn't, should the legislature impeach him and then remove him from office? As I said, I continue to believe the governor should resign. Yes. What's your personal relationship going to be with him going forward? And we still work and deal with him. As I said, I continue to believe that he should resign. That was Senator Chuck Schumer uh, responding to the Attorney General's report. Uh, Again, the calls for the governor um, coming from both sides of the political aisle. And you are seeing almost every elected official in Albany, be it in the Assembly, in the Senate, uh, say that the governor should step down before we get to an impeachment. And we are also hearing that the impeachment could be um, very swift now that this uh, that the AG's report is done. Um, the assembly can finish their report and we will get an update on that at 11 with minority leader, William Barclay. Right now I am pleased to be joined by local, uh, Erie County legislature, professor, Dr. Kevin Hardwick, Kevin, good morning. Morning, Joe. How are you? Oh, Kevin, I'm doing great. I I thank you so much for responding so quickly and getting on the show. Joe, with the mess collapsing, you can't be good. Come on, come on. I'm not good either. I'm sorry. I'm there with it's, you. It's, it's reminding me way too much of my um, freshman and sophomore year of college uh, when they did the exact same thing with the Phillies. So, um, yeah, absolutely. This is not good. But, uh, Kevin, you were one of the first. You know, I'm, I'm, very, uh, I'm very attached to Twitter. Even though I make fun of people who are attached to Twitter, I'm just as attached to Twitter. And you were one of the first uh, – Local Democrats to uh, release a statement on the um, on calling for Governor Cuomo to resign, and, and I just want to know uh, those calls pretty much echoed by everyone um, in your wing of the party, correct? 
I can't think of anyone who hasn't called upon uh, the governor to resign. And most people have called, as I have, for impeachment if he fails to resign. Do you think uh, it's going to come to impeachment, or do you think as the calls grow, uh, we will finally see a response like him of uh, of resigning out of Albany? I think think there's no pressure on the governor right now. Well, there's pressure on the governor right now, but I don't think— I don't think that resignation is imminent. I think that once the impeachment vote begins, I think that's when you'll see him resign. Um, You know, uh, he'll he'll try to play out the clock uh, for uh, for another week or two or whatever it is until the assembly uh, gets back to Albany and starts the impeachment process. And just before a vote, you know, much like uh, much like President Nixon uh, in 1974, that was August of 1974. I remember it well. Uh, I think that uh, that you'll see him uh, see him resign. What do you think of the members of the Assembly, members of the state Senate, uh, members of the Senate who back in March were calling for the governor to resign? uh, And then we saw those those calls kind of uh, quiet until just a few days ago. Well, I think the the calls back then, uh, some people uh, uh, called for him to resign immediately. I think most of the people in the party uh, took the appropriate course of saying, well, let's wait. These are allegations. Uh, the attorney general is doing a thorough investigation. Let's wait to see what that turns up. Well, uh, the other day we saw what it turned up, and immediately everybody was like, yeah, he should resign. And if he doesn't resign, he should, should be impeached. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think that, that, that people took the right course there. What do you think of the um, the criticism of the attorney general saying that her investigation had a political bias? Well, you know what? You're always uh, the the attorney general is a politician. She is an elected leader, uh, as is the governor, and you're always going to get those claims regardless. But I think the investigators, if you if you read through the report, um, I think you'll see that the investigators did their job. And they found the allegations to be credible. And uh, reading through it, I I came to that same conclusion, as did everybody else that's uh, calling for resignation. Uh, And we all saw the governor's uh, uh, apology or explanation or whatever that was. And I think that uh, that left a lot of us wanting. Yeah, I I feel like that um, his pre-recorded explanation, or as you said, apology, uh, didn't really score him many points. No, I I think it. I don't think it helped at all, and and in some sense, it may have backfired. Now, let me ask you. You know, we we've obviously in the last two years, we know how a federal impeachment works. Um, what will be different about a state impeachment? Well, there are a number of differences. I mean, the impeachment itself uh, mirrors what goes on in the House of Representatives. It was a majority vote in the House of Representatives, uh, well, on two occasions, that impeached uh, President Trump. President Trump was impeached, but then the Senate failed to get the two-thirds majority needed to convict him and remove him from office. Uh, So the impeachment process uh, with the Assembly is similar to that in the House. The difference is that once he is impeached, that is, a majority vote in the assembly says, yeah, um, th- these are credible. And in fact, the impeachment is, is tantamount to indictment. You know, just because you're indicted for a, a crime doesn't mean you go to jail right away. You, you have to be tried. 
Well, after the impeachment by the assembly, uh, Kathy Hochul immediately, the lieutenant governor, becomes the acting governor. That was not the case uh, in the federal uh, proceedings. Uh, you know, President Trump continued to be president throughout the whole time. Uh, they didn't put Vice President Pence in uh, in acting capacity once uh, once uh, he was impeached. So that's one difference. The other difference is that the on the federal level, it's the Senate where you need a two-thirds vote, uh, all members of the Senate voting. Well, in the case of the um, state, it's uh, 62 of the 63 senators. The majority leader of the Senate, since uh, uh, she is in the line of succession, does not get to vote in that. And they are joined, those 62 remaining senators are joined by the seven members of the Court of Appeals, the highest court in the state. Now, all seven of those members uh, were appointed, of course, by Governor, Governor Cuomo. So they get, a, they get a vote in this also, and you need a two-thirds vote of, of that court of impeachment uh, to remove him from office. Now, you mentioned Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, someone I, I know you know. Um, what do you think of her stepping into the governor role? I think, uh, I, I think certainly uh, every Democrat that I know of in western New York would welcome that, uh, and I think most Democrats in New York State would welcome that. Uh, obviously, once that happens, uh, there's going to be a gubernatorial election next year regardless. I mean, it's, it's every four years. And I think she's right in the center of that. I have to say, uh, Kevin, you and Kathy Hochul have something in common. You are the only two Democrat politicians that congratulated me on my engagement. Well, um, you know, and and extended uh, uh, condolences to your fiance. <laughs> you didn't add that part. <laughs> I did that. I did that privately. Now, let me ask you on a local level. You know, after the accusations in March, we saw current Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown with Governor Cuomo a few times here in the city of Buffalo. Do you think that will hurt the mayor in the November election? I, I think it will have absolutely um, no, uh, you know, no effect on the election. I think that uh, uh, number one, uh, regardless of whether uh, Byron Brown was running for re-election or not, um, you know, it, he's the mayor of Buffalo. You've got the governor of New York. He's still the governor of New York. You need to, you know, you need to be able to uh, uh, deal with him. Um, but I think I think the issues in the mayoral race uh, in November are pretty well defined. I think people have a good idea who they're voting for. It's going to be just a matter of, of turnout. And I was going to ask, what do you think of that election as we get to November? You have a write-in versus someone on the ballot. Um, do you think this election is going to be close in November, or do you think it's going to sway one way pretty heavily? I, I have I, I honestly don't know. I think you could make a case for either candidate winning big, uh, I think you can make a case for a, uh, a a very close election. You know, the primary fooled all the experts, and as one of those experts that got fooled, um, you know, I know that uh, perhaps it's best to keep my mouth shut this time, uh, <laughs> so I don't go on record and and get uh, get uh, disproven once again. Well, Kevin, I appreciate that, and I know you were on the ballot as well, and on a very 
Soon to near episode, we will have you and Lynn on to talk about your campaigns. I really appreciate you reaching out and joining me this morning. Looking forward to it, Joe. Hopefully by then the Mets will be back in first place. Oh, my gosh. Kevin, I'll tell you, if they get swept by the Phillies, uh, my Twitter might go down for a week. I'm just letting you know. (laughs) Okay. All right. Thank you, Kevin. That is... Erie County Legislator and Canisius Professor Dr. Kevin Hardwick, who reached out at the beginning of the show. I talked about the Democrats I reached out to did not either get a response or was told they could not join me this morning. Kevin uh, texted me and said he was available to join me. I I really appreciate that, uh, giving his point of view of what's going on. And when we come back, we will have Nick Langworthy, the GOP chair of New York State, on to talk about what's going on in Albany with Governor Cuomo. We're also going to talk about an interesting tweet exchange you might have heard me talk about when I was sitting in for Tom Bowerly on Friday. We'll ask the uh, the GOP chair about that as well. It is Hardline on WBEN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN talking the fallout from the AG report. And joining us now is New York State GOP Chairman Nick Langworthy. Nick, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Thanks uh, for having me back. No, thanks for joining me. Uh, You know, with everything going on, I just want to know your initial reaction to that report we heard earlier in the week. Well, I guess it's finally. I mean, we have uh, we as Republicans have been calling for this governor's impeachment now since February. I, I, I had to go back and check my own notes. February 11th, we first called for the governor's impeachment based on his crimes and cover-ups surrounding the nursing home tragedies. Uh, and now, and it was the aftermath of that that brought us sexual harassment allegations uh, in this governor's complete implosion. But you know, the legislators that run the show in Albany, the Democrats, Carl Hasty, the speaker, you know, Christy Peoples, um, you know, the majority leader, and, and Andrea Stewart Cousins, uh, you know, the Senate uh, leader in the Democrats, they haven't wanted to move this forward. They have been absolutely slow walking this impeachment inquiry. And now you've got irrefutable facts, uh, the way I look at it, by, by this attorney general's report. Um, they could they could pass an impeachment article tomorrow. I think it's very dangerous to leave this governor in power. 
you know, he is a sinister individual, and we need to get him out of there as soon as possible. You know, I, I saw your back and forth with uh, Assemblywoman Monica Wallace, um, and, and the one thing I find interesting is, you know, you look back in March, and, and you see all the calls for the governor to resign, and it seems like after that day or two uh, from the left side of the aisle, it went quiet. You know, we didn't even get an update on where the, uh, the impeachment investigation was, you know, and, and as you point out, you saw some members of the Assembly uh, with the governor after they called for him to resign. Uh, I want to know your reaction to that, but also, are we going to see that again this time around? Well, I, I think what, what has happened is the Assembly thought that they could help the governor while he was trying to hide in plain sight, ride it out. The public was kind of forgetting. Everyone was living their lives, enjoying their summers. And, and the public's memory is very short. The governor was counting on that. He's just going around delivering good news at press conferences that COVID was... You know, the, the restrictions were being lifted, and, you know, he was granting us the rights uh, back that we never should have lost in the first place. I mean, all those things, uh, it was part of an elaborate scheme. And, you know, I believe the assembly leadership was complicit in this scheme, and they held this governor up for everything they wanted in that budget. And they intend to do it in the future with redistricting because the governor holds a lot of the keys to the power of redistricting. Uh, that's an important matter that's going to be right before Albany very soon. So as, as we go forward, I mean, I look at somebody like Monica Wallace. What a complete joke. What a complete hypocrite. I mean, here she sits on this committee that's supposed to be investigating this governor. And she uh, and, and Karen McMahon of, um, of, of, of Amherst, you know, they both are attorneys, worked in the court system. They're sitting there uh, in the governor's mansion having a, a, a surf and turf dinner with the governor. Monica gets a, a private tour of the governor's mansion. He's got the full charm offensive on, on full display. Meanwhile, they're supposed to be investigating him. I mean, you think John Flynn goes out and has dinner with people that are accused of serious crimes in, in Erie County? I, I, they don't. And, and, and when we call out their hypocrisy, uh, you know, they cry foul. They're total hypocrites, and they need to be removed just as much as Cuomo. Now, looking at a either a resignation or impeachment, uh, that would mean Kathy Hochul would move into the governor's chair. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What, what's, what's important for people to remember is, is it, this is unlike the federal impeachments. It, an impeachment at the state level, the moment an article is passed, the governor is relieved of power and duty. Kathy would then become acting governor until the pending trial in the Senate. And then it would still be just like the federal government, a two-thirds conviction rate. And if they failed to convict him, he'd be reinstated. But Kathy would assume the powers of the governor immediately upon the assembly um, passing that resolution. I think they should pass it tomorrow. And and they won't do that because they, they're, again, slow walking this. They need another month. I mean, it's total nonsense. Um, it, you know, Kathy... Uh, I don't know if she's prepared for the job. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think I said at my press conference the other day, uh, when I'm in Buffalo, I have to hear all the media slobbered all over Cassie about how powerful she is. Anywhere else in the state, she's generally been a non-entity. Uh, she's a goodwill ambassador. She goes out to the places that the governor doesn't want to waste his time. Uh, and I don't believe she's ever been, you know, truly in the room where decisions are being made. But, uh, you know, I, I – think it's a better alternative than having a sinister governor who's a rat back in the corner right now, uh, who knows his days are numbered one way or the other, uh, that has his hands on, on the, the levers of power in the state government.
And Nick, just two more questions before uh, we let you go. Uh, you know, COVID, uh, we're seeing the case number rise, which really bothers me that we're talking about cases. It's never been cases until hospitalizations were low. Um, but do you do you hear from people in the assembly um, any kind of talk that we might start seeing mandates and restrictions again in New York State? I, I haven't yet. I think the trouble around Cuomo is what's preventing uh, any of that stupid talk from coming back. We, we can't lock down again. We can't, our economy can't afford it. Our businesses can't afford it. We can't afford it for our future. We've got, you know, too big of a problem, you know, with our the soundness of our economy. But um, it, it's you have a rise in cases, but the fear factor that's out there from many in the media, I think, is despicable. Uh, you know, you, you read some of these headlines. And they want people to think we're entering an era like we were in March 2020, where we had no therapies, you know, didn't know how to treat the the, the thing. I, I mean, I went to uh, look for the results today. I guess Erie County has 50 people in the hospital, and I, I I hope everybody you know gets better, and we have the most minimum loss of life that we can. People should get the vaccine if it's um, if they want it, uh, or they should talk to their doctor. I mean, I personally believe in the vaccine. My family got vaccinated. Uh, I think that's a surefire way to stay out of the hospital, uh, but it's a, it's a personal choice, and you know we shouldn't be having mandates. We shouldn't have you know the government forcing things on you, and um, you know that is. But you know it is a way that you can prevent getting sick. That was that was my next question. You know the the New York uh, City vaccine mandate that goes in effect in September. Um, you know anytime you speak out against that, it seems like people say, "Oh, you must be anti-vaccine." And I think again, what we've seen for the last year with this vaccine is just some awful messaging around it. Uh, what are your thoughts on the vaccine mandate in New York City? I, I think mandates are uh, a very dangerous, slippery slope. We live in a representative democracy. Uh, the government, you know, doesn't tell us what to put in our bodies. I am very, very pro-vaccine. I believe in the vaccine. I think, you know, uh, President Trump and panel Operation Warp Speed to get us a miracle of modern medicine to get this vaccine in one year's time. Uh, less than one year's time. I, I think this is something that, you know, will go down in history is, is saving, you know, us from this horrible pandemic. Uh, but at the same time, you know, to force in, 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 you know, basically put scars on people that refuse to get the vaccine. You know, there's many people that have medical questions and, and their own medical providers uh, should advise them what's best for them and their families. Nick Langworthy, GOP chair. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you. Take care. That is the New York State GOP chair, Nick Langworthy, with his thoughts on what we saw during the week. And again, like I said, um, he's been very vocal and he's been very vocal the last five months uh, about this. And uh, as he mentioned, an impeachment process. And we're going to talk about this in the next segment with the minority leader in the assembly uh, on how quickly can this progress? How quickly can an impeachment, uh, because it is different state and federal, but you would think some things are the same when it comes to writing up an article. And we saw how quickly articles of impeachment were written in Washington for President Trump's second impeachment. Um, what is taking so long here? And what, what did that investigation look like uh, for the last five months? We saw the AG's investigation. Uh, we saw it w- was a very detailed report, as Kevin Hardwick mentioned. Um, it had evidence. It, it had uh, um, what the accusations were, evidence to back it up, uh, a very thorough investigation. What, what was the assembly doing at the same time? 
And I don't think that's an unfair question to ask. I don't think that's a biased question to ask. Uh, I think it's what a lot, of the, a lot of the people here in New York State that are paying for that investigation would like to know. And that would, I would be saying the same thing no matter the party of the individual. Um, but I think it could be uh, – I think the questions are now going to be why is this taking so long? And as you heard both Kevin Hardwick and Nick Langworthy say, as we get closer to an impeachment being written up, will the governor still sit in the mansion waiting for that impeachment, or will that be the time that he resigns? I think a lot of questions, a lot more questions than answers uh, here um, today, but you know, maybe next week on Hardline, we're talking about the governor resigning, we're talking about the impeachment, um, so many things would happen, I mean, who thought we'd be talking about this today? No one knew what was going to happen during the week, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, when I saw the alert that the attorney general was about to speak, I, I really was like, eh, okay, probably nothing's going to come out of this, um, but it was a very damning report, as we've been uh, mentioning this morning and a lot of fallout fallout on the left fallout on the right and we are getting all aspects of that as i mentioned in our next hour we have the minority leader of the new york state assembly at 11 and then we have a former white house uh uh, obama white house staffer to give us not only the national view uh, on cuomo but also what's going on in washington we see an infrastructure bill uh, that is being passed it is being passed um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It is being passed uh, bipartisan. You have members of both parties agreeing on this, but you are seeing people uh, outside the Senate uh, on the right that do not agree with the money being spent. Um, they say it's way too much money. We'll get reaction on that as well, as well as COVID-19. You heard me ask Nick Langworthy, what does he think um, the state with more mandates, more restrictions, does he see that down the road? Um, I want to ask Nick Rathard, who's joining us at 11:30. Does he see that coming out of this Biden administration? You know, uh, obviously the talk locally right now is what's going on with the governor, uh, but you see the COVID numbers continue when it comes to cases. And if you listen to me during the week, you know what my stance is on cases compared to hospitalizations. And why are we counting asymptomatic vaccinated people as cases? Um, But that is a rant for me to do during the week. However, are we going to use cases, case numbers, to issue mandates and restrictions. Are we going to see that on a local level? Are we going to see that on a national level? Definitely a question I will be asking to my next two guests um, who will uh, be able to shed some light on that. So one hour down, one hour to go talking the fallout in Albany, also talking what's happening in D.C. and what's happening with COVID. Are we about to enter another round of shutdowns, another round of mandates, another round of restrictions? I hope not. We'll see what the experts say when we come back. It's Joe Beamer. It's Hardline. If you've missed any of this first hour, it is available on demand at WBEN.com and on the Odyssey app. But I would hope that you would wait till noon to catch up what you missed out on because we have another excellent hour of live programming after this on News Radio 930 WBEN. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.